Good morning, Overlake. Let's stand. My name is Jessica. I'm the worship pastor here. We're going to worship Jesus. We're so glad you're here.
Friends, it is so good to be reminded of these truths, right, that the battle belongs to the Lord. I, I, I want to ask by show of hands, how many of you over the course of your life, how many of you have seen God come through in your life with a victory? Raise your hand. Oh, yeah, amen. Thanks for that testimony. How many of you right now, right now in your life are facing something and you need God to come through with the victory? Raise your hand. Yeah, God bless you. That's right. Here, here's the verse that was coming into my mind when we were singing those last few songs is, is this verse... It's not by might, nor by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And so I want you to be encouraged right now that it's the Lord's spirit in our lives that will help us move through whatever challenge you're facing into the victory that he has in store for you. Amen? You guys with me on that? All right. Yeah, let's give God a hand. Thank you. We're so thankful for the Lord. I want to welcome you here to Overlake Christian Church. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. At some point, I would love for you to grab this card, this connection card, out of your handout and fill it out. It's just a great way for us to make this a more tight and care-filled ministry. And so if there's a prayer request you have, if there's a, a spiritual step you're taking, if you want information about anything, you want to get connected somewhere, please fill this out. And then as the offering buckets are passed a little bit later, you can drop those in. If this is your first time, we are so glad you're here. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for joining online. Um, you can hold on to your card and on the way out stop by the info desk. We've got a gift for you. It's just our way of saying thank you so much for being here. We, we really do honor your presence with us today. Here's the deal. We want you to make sure that you know you're welcome and the people around you know they're welcome. So would you just give about four or five high fives right now and say hey you're welcome here. You're welcome here. Go for it. Do that. All right. My name is Aaron, I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I am also a mentor at Eastside Academy. And Eastside Academy is a, a um, high school that serves at-risk youth here on the East Side, and I'm so honored today to be standing here and to be able to do a Q&A with one of the students. We like to bring a student up and like to share his or her story a couple of times a year, and so I get the opportunity to let Leo, my mentee, share his story with us today. So can you welcome Leo Fisher, please? Hello. So Leo, what was going on in your life before you came to EA, and why did you come? Uh, before EA, uh, I was very depressed and secluded. Uh, I skipped school all the time because I was being bullied. Uh, mentally, I was in a deep hole, and during that time, my brother has been going to EA and my mom thought it would be a good idea for me to attend to. Awesome. And you came in as a freshman, and now you're a senior looking towards graduation. Uh, what has been your, uh, your experience at Eastside Academy? My experience at EA has been very good. Um, there's been some hard times, but talking to staff has helped me out a lot throughout the process. Before EA, I was failing all my classes and never really cared about my education. Uh, but when I came to EA, I fell back in love with school and cared about my grades. Um, 
My favorite class now is math because it makes sense. Uh, <laughs> uh, they also have uh, classes in counseling and recovery, and, as, and they've helped me recognize my feelings and to not suppress them like before. Because of that, I can now trust people, and I feel like I can be on a deeper level with my friends and peers. Mm, such great growth. And you also live in the Renew Homes, which are homes that are right next to campus. Uh, how has that housing program helped you in this journey? Uh, I went through a hard season uh, earlier this year, and I fell back in, uh, into old habits of being secluded. So I decided to move into the Renew Homes and get more accountability and help. Uh, the house parents uh, have been very supportive and, uh, and have helped me when I'm down and celebrate me when I accomplish something. Uh, it has helped me grow in my faith because I am involved in the youth group and I go to church regularly and now I help teach Sunday school classes. Dude, so good. good. Yeah. So worthy of the applause. And EA also has a mentoring program where they provide uh, an adult mentor to do one-on-one -on -one, uh, with students. How has that impacted you? Uh, well, Aaron has been my mentor for two and a half years and at first it was a little weird because um, <laughs> because it's kind of awkward for me to talk to adults one-on-one. -on -one. Um, but he has helped me more than a regular mentor has. Uh, he has modeled his faith to me. He has taken me to hockey games and soccer games, and we've done things in the community, like going to a park just to talk. Uh, he has helped me write my resume, find jobs, and provided volunteer opportunities to help challenge me and grow and give back. He has taken me on job sites to help learn construction skills, and now I want to be uh, or carpenter and go to Renton Tech. Yeah, so good, so good. And I didn't even have to pay him to say that. <laughs> well, as we wrap up, Leo, um, if you weren't at Eastside Academy, where do you think life would be for you today? Uh, if I wasn't at EA, I would be struggling a lot more um, mentally and emotionally. I would probably would have dropped out of school and I probably wouldn't have been alive today. Well, buddy, I and so many of you, or so many of our friends, your mom, your community are so proud of you and just that you've fought for yourself and just the, the, the young man that you're becoming. And friends, can we just thank Leo for sharing his story today? So proud of him. Thank you. Awesome. God bless you, man. Yeah, great, you guys. So great. So great. Well, Eastside Academy really is a beautiful ministry that Overlake has been partnering with for several years. And one of the things that we get a chance to be a part of is their yearly auction. They do an auction. It's a fundraiser. And um, I have been a part for, for these last, I don't know, eight years or so. And every single time we, we come together, and because it's a, it's a bunch of Overlake folks get together, a bunch of Bellevue Presbyterian folks and Eastside Academy folks, and, and we have this incredible time together. And up, I, I promise you, if you've not been there, th these nights are miraculous. They really are. God shows up in a powerful way, and, uh, and everybody gets blessed from them. So if, if, I think there's information in your handout, and they'll be in the hallway after service. But, but please, uh, you know, think about being a part of the Eastside Academy um, ministry, because it really does. It's, it's all about transformed lives. So why don't you do this? Why don't you grab your notes out of your handout? And you will see we're starting a new series today. This is on generous living and how it all starts with God. And, 
And what I want to do is I just want to recognize where we are in the school year and sort of in the, the seasons of life. So we've come off of summer break and now here we are and it's September so it's the start of school, it's the start of fall, it's the start of homework and soccer practice and orchestra and band and football games and all this stuff. And, and I don't know about you but, but in our family what that means is like chaos. It means chaos and it means back to school stress and it means back to school shopping and it means back to school arguments and all this stuff and and so um here's what's interesting is i don't know about you but it's about this time in the school year three two three weeks in that i feel like i need a vacation is anybody with me like i just came off summer vacation and now i need a vacation and and maybe i need a little bit of money to actually have that vacation because i kind of blew my vacation budget already over the summer and and uh, so what's interesting is we think that if we just had a break and we just had a vacation everything would be okay. I'd be happy. I'd be, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd be like sad and rested and, and rejuvenated. But, but I found these, these are actual complaints that people had on vacation. All right, so, so check this out. The first one, the beach was too sandy. We had to clean everything when we returned to our room. All right. That actually is the definition of a beach in my book, right? Sand. Uh, next one, although the brochure said there was a fully equipped kitchen, there was no egg slicer. <laughs> you know, because you can't use a knife, right? Uh, the next one, no one told us there would be fish in the water. The children were scared. <laughs> you know, when they entered the home uh, where fish live. And then the last one, I compared the size of our one-bedroom suite to our friend's three-bedroom, and ours was significantly smaller. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, that doesn't make sense, does it? The one bedroom would be smaller than the three bedroom. It's tough, tough life. So here, here's what I want you to note, and we've talked about this before, but there's no blessing that God gives that's so good that we can't find a little something to complain about. That there's always a little something to focus on that's not right, that's a little wrong, that's just off. And that's sort of the mentality that we end up living so much of life with. And, and this is what leads us to the beginning of a thought process, a perspective shift. If, if we can really get here, if we can really understand what it means, that how God has made us to live generously, then it will really transform so much of the way that we enjoy life. I firmly believe that this is what it means to be on the pathway that Jesus invites us on, the pathway to abundance, the pathway to full life. And, and it starts with this idea that we trust that God knows exactly what we need. That's the first fill-in, that God understands my needs, that he knows what I need. He's the one who made me, he's the one who wired me, and he's the one who knows what I need. Because he's the one who built us and wired us up and created us in his image, he actually knows more than we do about what it is that we need. And so I want to begin with just a general question, what is it that we need? And uh, we're going to just kind of go through it's a little bit of education here. You might want to take notes. Some of you are familiar with this if you took a Psych 101 class in college. But this is from Maslow who created a hierarchy of needs. And it depicts the steps of psychological and physical needs that humans need. So this is actually kind of bigger than just one society, one culture, one country. It's, the, it's sort of the human need as, as we exist as human beings on this earth. So the first basic need. That's the bottom, the foundation of the pyramid. 
basic needs, and they're somewhat obvious and necessary for survival. So you're talking about air, you're talking about food and, and water, you're talking about warmth and sleep and, and shelter. And without some of these just basic physiological needs, the human cannot function. So interesting that the scripture speaks to that in First Timothy, and we read, so if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. So there's even a way for us to be content, even when this very first level of our needs, our basic needs, are being met. But once those basic needs are met, it takes us to the next level. Those are our safety needs. So once the physical needs are met and cared for, then we begin to focus on safety needs, and this is what dominates our concern. So in other words, our need for some kind of a predictability in our lives, where danger and unfairness and inconsistency are under control. What's interesting is I read a, a research uh, project that asked wealthy Americans, so it was a specific demographic of American culture, and, and they asked these wealthy Americans how much money they felt they needed before they had their basic needs and their security needs met. How much money would be required for these wealthy Americans before they felt like their basic needs and their security needs were met? And on average... The answer from this pool of people, this demographic that was polled, on average, the answer was $5 million in the bank. Wow. If I had $5 million, well, I think we'd all feel a little safe with $5 million in the bank. But, but I want you to see what, what a contrast that is, because that was like the bottom line. That was the baseline. So here's what's interesting. That was sort of a, a wealthy context. Now I want you to understand that in, in communities that are much more humble, I want you to see how much deeper and how much sooner they feel that their basic needs and their safety needs are met. That there's actually, there's this weird inconsistency, but in, in these more humble communities and the, the, these societies that are still in development, that there's actually so much lower of a level of what physiological needs and what safety needs are required. And by the way, I would say there's a catapult to joy in some of these communities because they have faith, because they trust, and are dependent upon their Heavenly Father. You know, for about 10 years in a row, I would take students down. We lived in Southern California, and so I'd take students with me. We'd go down to this area in Mexicali, Mexico, and we'd run these day camps, these, these vacation Bible camps, for kids in about 25 different villages. And these were very humble circumstances that all these kids were coming from. But because they were, there, there was this humility, there was this rich community, there was this rich interdependence, and because of all this, there was this incredible amount of joy and vitality and life. There was not very much material prosperity, but there was this incredible amount of communal and emotional prosperity. And there's the interesting thing to see that, you know, here's, here's a group that says, I, I can't be happy or secure unless I have $5 million in the bank. And there's this whole other group of humanity that made in the image of God that says, I'm going to choose to be joyful now. I'm going to choose to live independence now. Are you with me? And so you just have to understand, these are the, the hierarchy, and, and they'll be different in different cultures, but it starts with basic needs, it goes to safety needs. The third level is the level of belongingness belongingness or the need to belong the need to be accepted the need to love and be loved and if this is missing then social anxiety and depression can arise mother Teresa is very famous for her quote loneliness is the worst form of poverty 
right? Because if you're missing out on belongingness, if you don't have a place to belong, you're lonely and it's the worst form of poverty. Number four, esteem needs. This is attained when individuals feel comfortable with what they've accomplished or the, the ability to look yourself in the mirror and feel a sense of pride in yourself and your contribution. I do want you to see this, that the last two levels we talked about, belongingness and esteem, they flow best from our position as sons and daughters of our loving Heavenly Father. So if we understand our identity as children of God Most High, then both of these things, our esteem and our belonging, are met. Number five, cognitive needs, cognition. And this is where we increase our intellect and we chase knowledge to gain better understanding of the world around us. The scripture actually identifies this as loving God with our minds, that cognition. Number six is our aesthetic needs. And here we find ourselves refreshed with the presence of beauty, nature, art, music, architecture, other aesthetically beautiful things the world has to offer. You know, it is true that many people experience the kindness of God first through his beauty. And the reason is because our God is a beautiful God. And so anything that is beautiful is simply a reflection of his nature, of his character. Number seven, self-actualization. Here, we actually make the most of our abilities and we're striving to be the very best we can be to fulfill our potential. To quote Maslow, he says, what a man can be, he must be. What a person can be, they must be. And it's actually at this level, individuals experience extraordinary moments of euphoria, harmonization, and interconnectedness. So this is that peak individual experience of self-actualization, which leads us to the final, the tip of the pyramid, the pinnacle, transcendence. What's interesting about this is having reached a level of self-actualization, now there's this desire to help others along the pathway of growth. And in doing so, we become sort of connected with something beyond our ego, beyond our individual nature, and we experience states that are, you know, in Maslow's word, another level of being. And what we would call this is you would be spiritually awake. You would be spiritually alive. You'd be connected then with God, and you'd be aware of that intimate connection. Now, Maslow's depiction of human needs actually fits most societies, but this is not a lecture on Maslow because like all psychologists and psychiatrists, he has his detractors. I simply start here because I want you to see that the needs along this spectrum are all legitimate. I want you to experience sort of this pyramid a hierarchy of needs from God's perspective. In other words, ask yourself the question when you look at those needs, do you believe that God has wired us together, knitting us even in the deepest recesses of our psyches? So do we trust that God understands all of our needs at all of these levels even better than we do? You know, as a, a pastor and a human, <laughs> that's not news, I hope, I am a human, uh, and I'm a pastor. I hope no, neither of those were news to you. But I'm somewhat aware of my own needs, my own desires. And I want to tell you that, that I actually really identify with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. But I do have one argument with him. And the argument is this, that I, I believe that the first two levels, the basic levels, the basic needs and the safety needs, that those are foundational, I believe. Because unless you can figure out how to have enough oxygen to breathe and, and how to have enough food and water to stay alive, and if you're always dodging sniper fire, you'll, in other words, if these are always in flux, 
you'll never have time to focus on the other levels. Does that make sense? Because those are so basic and those are just, they're foundational for us. But I think that if you have those bottom two, those first two foundational levels taken care of, which at Overlake, that would be so very many of us have those, those basic needs. Not everyone, I, I recognize that, but almost everyone who's connected at Overlake Christian Church has those bottom needs, those foundational needs met. Then my argument is you can actually address all of the rest of those hierarchy of needs simultaneously. That you don't have to go through them one level at a time. In other words, life is not a Super Mario Brothers game, okay? Uh, AKA greatest video game ever made. But I'm just saying it, it, it doesn't work like that. You don't have to go through one level and then start pursuing the next level. You can actually, if the bottom two levels are built, I actually think you can begin a purposeful plan of pursuing all the rest of those. And my last argument is I don't think you have to wait till transcendence in order to start helping others. I think as soon as you begin to address any of these levels, you can actually, as a part of addressing a level, say, of your aesthetic beauty, you can begin to bring others along with you. Uh, a part of understanding, say, your need for belongingness is you can begin to help others belong. Are you with me? So you don't have to ascend to the top, then go back. Just as soon as you start hitting the level, then you can begin to build in. And that's just, you know, that's my cowardice, and that's for free. But I just want you to have a basic framework of needs, and I want you to see how they're all actual needs. In other words, I want you to see that the need you have for belonging is a real desperate need, just like your need for oxygen. And that God knows all about your needs. And there's not a single one of these needs that's, that's a surprise to God. He knows you because he made you, and he loves you. Now... Today's message is about generous living, and so in order to begin to get our minds into this perspective, we have to address the lie, and the lie that exists, it, it, it exists around money, and I'm going to tell you the lie, and you might want to write this down, because this is this kind of insidious lie, and it taints all kinds of the way we see the world, and here's the lie. The lie is, if I could just get more money. If I could just get more money, if I could just earn more money, if I could just have more money, if I could just save more money, if I could just get more money, then, then I'd be okay. Then I'd have the car. Then I'd have the house. Then I'd have the clothes. Then I'd, whatever would, I think, save me, I put money as a form of material savior, and I'm missing out on the, the, the true gift of generosity and abundance that God has in store for us. And, and I, I say this, I, I don't want to be flippant about it. I've been looking over the prayer requests that have come in over the last couple of months, and I know that there are so many here who do feel tight or constricted, that there are real needs in our church, and I definitely have compassion here. I know that there are those who whose children are in need, or there's joblessness and unemployment. I, I, I have been in tears as I've lifted up some of these requests to the Lord. And so I, do, I just want to begin here by saying that if, if you find yourself in this kind of need and there's basic needs that are going unmet, you need to know that our church does want to come alongside of you. And we have a program called Aid and Assistance, and you're welcome to take advantage of that and come in and, and start that process. But here's what's interesting. In, in Western societies, we tend to desire so much more of the lower level of needs. In other words, we, we desire to have more food than we need. We desire to have more shelter than we need, more clothing than we need, more objects materially than we need. 
And in, in, in other words, the Western societies tend to want to bulk up and have, have a, 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 an overabundance of material possessions at the lower levels and then maybe some of the Eastern societies. And it actually prevents us from getting to the higher needs. And, and so we find ourselves saying things like this, I need a new car. I need the latest, you know, uh, uh, iPhone. I, I need something to wear. <laughs> By the way, just show of hands, how many of you have a closet that has clothes all over it? How many of you have shoes, like, like more shoes than you can wear, let's just say in a week? Anybody have more shoes than you can wear in a week? Yeah, only a few hands? Okay, all right. You guys are, you guys are a little less materialistic than, let's say, the first service. Okay. Here, here's the, this is just broad strokes right here. But here, here's the broad strokes difference between men and women. Um, when a woman opens her closet and says these words, say, I have nothing to wear, what she typically means, not always, but what she typically means is, I don't have anything new, right? I don't have anything new to wear. When a guy opens his closet and says, I don't have anything to wear, typically what he means is, I don't have anything clean, <laughs> right? I have worn these three days in a row. That's not going to fly, you know. Uh, time to wash. I'm, you know, I'm, per, I'm whatever. So here's the thing. I want you to understand that, that there is a way for us to go about this because we don't want to blow it up at each level. We want to allow us to, ourselves to have a really rich relationship with the Lord as he meets our needs at each level. But we don't want to continue to desire more food than we can deal with, more clothing than we can deal with, more shelter than we need. Like, like that's just not what we need in order to make us happy. In other words, there's this transformation that God is inviting us on, but it has relatively little to do with how much money goes into our bank account. More money does not equal more happiness. You might want to write that down. Make a little formula. More money does not equal, equal sign with a slash through it, more happiness. In fact, it can actually mean greater unhappiness. Have you ever heard of the lottery winner curse? Raise your hand if you've ever heard of the lottery winner curse. Okay. You can Google this. It's a real thing. It's, it's about how as soon as this mass infusion of money comes into people's lives, suddenly their life just tanks. And I did research on a guy who won the $350 million Powerball on the East Coast a few years ago. And... Here's what happened to him in the years subsequent to his winning. He lost his wife to divorce. He lost his granddaughter, who, who was his favorite person. He lost her to overdose drugs. He lost his driver's license to DUI. He lost his fortune to strip clubs and the mafia. And today he's literally alone, bankrupt, and sad, struggling with depression. He has said, and he's said it as many times as he's asked, he's said... I wish I'd never purchased the ticket. So I, I want you to see money is not the answer. Let me tell you what's better than money. Are you ready for this? What's better than money is God's blessing. Amen. That's what's better than money. God's blessing is better. In fact, look what Proverbs 10.22 says. The blessing of the Lord makes a person rich and he adds no sorrow with it. You want to underline that? That's what I pray for you. That's what I pray for my family, for each and every one of us. This rich, abundant blessing of the Lord that makes us rich but isn't an increase in our sorrow. 
And, and there's a word that sometimes gets used in churches, and you've probably heard this word. It's the word prosperity. And for some of you, it's a trigger word, and so let me just unpack this. I, I do believe in prosperity. I absolutely want all of us to live in prosperity, but it's the prosperity that I see modeled and defined by Jesus Christ himself. So this seems to be a different kind of prosperity than some uh, uh, of the more materialistic thinkers and speakers pursue. So I look at Jesus, and I see in Jesus the most prosperous human ever, and not because he had $5 million in the bank. Okay? I see Jesus as the most prosperous human ever because he mastered every situation he faced, no matter what the circumstance was. And, and Jesus owned no house or no property. He owned no car, no camel, no business. He had one robe and one pair of sandals. And yet every single need that he had was met. All the way up the hierarchy pyramid. All the way to the top. And he is our model. So we seek to listen to his teaching. And we seek to model or at least learn from and incorporate the lessons from the way that he lived. I found this very famous quote. I want to share it with you today. And it's this. It's, it's, if I could just get more money, then I could be more like Jesus, said nobody ever. Right? Right? That's not what it's about. And more money won't make us more like Jesus. In fact, there's this counter reality. That it actually moves against what it is that the Lord's inviting us into. So money isn't the answer. Money actually can make the problems worse. Proverbs 1.19 says, Such is the fate of all who are greedy for money. It robs them of life. Right? It robs them. We don't want you to be robbed of life. That's not what we want to be about. So look at that verse carefully for a second. Read that verse carefully because there's a word on your outline I want you to circle. I want you to circle the problem. Okay? It's the actual problem. So read that verse. Such is the fate of all who are greedy for money. It robs them of life. Now, the problem isn't money. What's the problem? It's greed. That's right. Circle greedy. Greed is the opposite of generosity. Greedy is the opposite of of generous. What does greed do? Greed robs us of life. What does generosity do? It brings us the fullness of life. This is the pathway that Jesus is inviting us to walk of abundance and fullness. So that's why this is about generous living. It's about living free. It's about trusting that God knows our needs and will meet our needs and will carry us forward in this life. But there's a perspective that we have in order to get to generous living. And it starts with this truth. And you might want to jot this down. God Our Heavenly Father does not want us to worry. He does not want us to worry. And yet we are so preoccupied with worry. But again, look at the prosperous life of Jesus. Was Jesus ever worried? Did he worry? Jesus didn't worry. Because he had this absolute communion with the Father and knew that the Father would carry him and provide for his needs. So this is what Jesus says. Again, it's the life that he modeled. Matthew 6, 25, he says, this is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? The answer is yes. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? The answer is no. And why worry about your clothing? 
Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Can you underline that phrase? He will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? See, he will certainly care for you is the problem that you and I, it's a promise rather that you and I can hold on to. We can hold on to this promise. In fact, what I want you to do right now, just kind of quietly to yourself, I want you to say it in the first person. God will certainly care for me. Can you say that? God will certainly care for me. See, he understands your needs better than we understand them. He loves you. He loves you more than birds. He loves you more than flowers. He, he loves you so much, he will certainly care for you. And the reason I know this and can de- declare this to be true is because God is a good father. If you're filling in the blanks, you've got to write that down. God is a good father. He's a good father. Uh, Jesus uses this object lesson, and he's, he's talking to a, a group of people. So he's talking to dads and moms in the crowd, and he says, look, you've got kids. And when your kid comes to you and, and they ask you for a fish to eat, do you give them a cobra? Or if they come to you and they ask you for bread, do you give them scorpions? Or if they come to you and tell you you're hungry, do you give them a, a plate with rocks on it? Of course you don't unless you're filming a video for Jimmy Kimmel, okay? N- no, he's like, and look, you guys, are, you guys are knuckleheads. You guys are fallen, you know, humans, and you, you got all kinds of problems. But you know how to give good gifts to your kids. And he says, how much more does your good, good heavenly father God know how to give good gifts to you? Because God is a good dad. And so I just want to say, I, I know many of you are parents or, or grandparents here, and, and I'm a dad, I'm a father of three, and, and I just want you to know, I'm like so many of you, that I want my kids to think that I hung the moon. I, I want them to just know that their dad delights in them, and, and uh, I, I want to launch them into the fullness of the adventure and calling that God has for their lives. But I just want you to know right now we got three teenagers, and so we struggle with all kinds of things. We struggle with homework and sibling rivalry and sassiness and time management and curfew. And actually the list of things we struggle with would be far too long for me to share with you today, so I won't. But there are a couple of aspects of my fathering that I want to make sure that I do. So the first thing is I do provide. So that has always been a priority. So for food, for shelter, clothing, you know, if, if they're in sports or orchestra, whatever they need for the activities that they commit to, um, love, you know, I try to communicate my love for them by, with a whole lifetime of tucking them into bed with hugs and kisses and prayers. I hug them out the door in the morning, you know. I, I want them to know who they are. I want them to know that they're mine, that I will love them fiercely and provide for their needs. And yet, as their dad, I do not give them everything that they want. Is that fair? In fact, my kids could probably give you a list right now of things their dad has not provided for them that they want. Not that they need, but that they want. In fact, I I don't know if you've ever had this experience with your own children, but we'd be watching like Saturday morning cartoons would be on, and so the cartoons, they'd be watching the cartoons in the morning, and then the commercials would come on in between the cartoons, showing the latest toy or the latest game, video thing, whatever, and all of a sudden they would be yelling at me. They'd be like, Dad, Dad, I need this. Dad, Dad, come here. Hey, Dad, I need this. Dad, I I gotta, like, I gotta have this. I need this. And I'm like, three minutes ago, you didn't even know that existed. 
you don't need that. You didn't need it three minutes ago. You don't need it right now, right? It's, it, he, there, there's not a need there. So I just want you to understand that God's like that. He knows what we need, and there's all kinds of things we want. He's just not that interested. But I will tell you this, and this is where it gets a little, this is where I want you to think in a nuanced way. That, now, there are times when God, just out of the fact that he's just such a good father, he just sometimes delights in giving you what delights you. Are you with me? So it's, it, it's, there's, it, it might not even be something you need. It might not be something that's like advancement or anything. It's just like a special way that he just shows up and, and just provides something for you, blesses you with something that, you, you know, just like a, just a gift. Just, you know, you're like, oh. One time, when I was, uh, it was, my, my kids were in elementary school at the time, and they, my oldest two, Doozy wasn't in my home yet, so it was just my oldest two, and let's say first and third grade or something. And this was the, the era of elementary school when all the kids were crazy for Pokemon cards. Raise your hand if you know what a Pokemon card is. Oh, so many of you do. And those of you who didn't raise your hand, you apparently have a, a life. Um, so... Uh, Pokemon cards were just this weird thing that kids would collect and they play these games with and and they my kids even got like a notebook with like clear sleeves and they would like fill it with all these Pokemon cards and so they were just crazy about Pokemon cards and and so one day I, and I was in the season I was making them lunches all the time and so one day I thought to myself oh this would be fun I went to Target and I bought a couple of packs of Pokemon cards and then I slipped them in their lunch and I wrote them a little love note, you know, from dad and, and put it in there. And, and so I just could, I could just could picture my kids open up the lunchbox thinking that they're going to reach for a PB&J. And instead they found this Pokemon card package. And I just, I was so excited about that. And sure enough, I get an email from the teacher that afternoon. And she's, she's a great teacher. All my kids had her. She's wonderful. I actually performed her, her wedding ceremony. So we were friends. But So she gives, me a, she gives me a great email. She's just like, oh, my goodness. She says, at lunchtime today, Caleb opened his lunchbox and lost his mind. She, she, she said, he, he grabbed that Pokemon card package, and he ran around the cafeteria, and he was showing everybody his Pokemon cards, and he was saying that his dad slipped these in. There was a surprise from his dad, and she just said, I just want you to know, good job, dad. And, and then she said, but apparently you were misinformed that, that Pokemon cards were okay to have at school. <laughs> they were actually banned uh, and so I had to confiscate them, and, <laughs> and I'd like to encourage you to read your emails from me in the future. <laughs> but I want you to understand that the picture in my mind of my son opening up his lunchbox and thinking that it was just another day of a, of a, you know, a packed lunch, and instead having this gift that just delights him and and just, just brings him joy. I, I want you to understand that picture, that's, that's God over you. That's what God wants to do with you. It's not like everything. We've all got way too many desires, materialistic, just, you know, kind of false desires all around us. Just advertisements that just have stirred us up. But I want you to know that the things that really do delight us, God delights in blessing us with. It's just this beautiful part of the heart of God over you and over me. And, and so I want you to see this. This is all throughout scripture, but I give you a verse from Psalm 20, verse three through five. It says this, may he, may God grant your heart's desires and make all your plans succeed. 
mean, how confident and connected are we to the Father? All your heart's desires, all your plans succeeding. May we shout with joy when we hear of your victory and raise a victory banner in the name of our God. May the Lord answer all your prayers. You see, this is the Lord's heart over us. He longs to provide. He delights when we are delighted. And then in the New Testament, we read a really interesting, similar, kind of a parallel verse in Romans 8.31, the Apostle Paul's writing. He says, what should we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And then he says this, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him, with Jesus, graciously give us all things? Circle that phrase, all things. You see, the Lord delights in giving us good things and the things we need, but also things that will bless us. And he graciously gives us all things. You know, when I read that passage, here's what it, it seems to me. It seems that Paul is saying this. Look, the most precious thing in the universe, God the Father has already given you. The greatest gift there is in the entire universe, in the history of the world, of everything that is, God has already given you Jesus. He's already given you his love made tangible, provided salvation for you. He's already poured out grace and forgiveness and full life and eternity for you through the person of Jesus. He's given you everything, the most priceless, precious gift he could possibly give. So anything else you can ask is just chump change compared to that. Amen. Are you with me? Like nothing else you can ask will even get close to what God has already provided for you. So that's why Paul says, how will he not? He's already given you this. How will he not also give you? Graciously, all things, right? And that's where we can come to the Lord knowing, if you're filling in the blanks, that he is the one who provides generously and he is the one who blesses generously. God is a God who provides generously and who blesses generously. James 1.17 says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like sh shifting shadows. So all the good gifts we have, have come from God. Here's what I want you to do right now, just a mental exercise. I want you to think about a way that God has come through for you. So earlier today, you raised your hand. If God has brought a victory in your life, this is kind of the similar way. Where is it that God has come through for you? Where in your life did you feel like you were hitting a, a closed door and then you know God opened that? Where was there a time when you needed provision and God provided that? When you were hoping for a callback for that job and suddenly you got the interview, then you got the job. Where is it that God has come through for you? Because I want you to see that that's the heart of our Heavenly Father, that when we need provision, we can come to Him for provision. When we need a blessing, when we need breakthrough, we can come to Him. And that's why I want to invite all of you to come and stop by our, our prayer center. It's the alcove down the second floor, just right out here to the left. And, and just stop and, and let people pray with you and come to the Lord and ask on your behalf for Him to provide generously and bless generously because this is right in line with the heart of our Heavenly Father who desires to provide and to bless. He loves to wow us. He loves to bring delight to us. But the thing that I want to make very clear, and this is where we're going to end our time together, is that the greatest provision and blessing God can give is himself. It's himself. It's his presence. It's intimacy with us. So 
here, here's something I want you to think about. God will never give us gifts. It will, it will never be God's heart to give us gifts that would pull, him, pull us away from him. He will never bless us in a way that will cause us to turn our backs on God. And so the greatest gift that God can ever give is himself for us. It, it, it's his presence with us. It's his intimacy with us. To carry us through the trials, the tribulations, the circumstances of our lives. And then into eternity with him. And that's why King David writes these words. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all I need. Can you underline that last phrase? I have all I need. I am content. Why? Because the Lord's my shepherd. The Lord's been given. He's the gift. He's the blessing in my life. And because he is with me and I with him. I have all that I need. And so friends, I just want us to recognize as we close that Jesus himself is the great prize. In this life and the next one, Jesus himself is the great prize. And living intimate with him, walking along this road of life with him, you know, following him, in lockstep with him, letting him lead your life, this is the wealthiest, richest, most prosperous place you can ever be. So today, let's close by asking Jesus to walk this road with us, to give us the blessing of himself. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes, and let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do want to say thank you. And we know that you are the greatest gift. We know that you are the most priceless, the most precious gift that our Heavenly Father could have ever given to us. And, and you came full willing. You came because you have the heart of the rescuer. Because you were the one who wanted to come and to show us how to live in this incredible prosperity and intimacy with the Father. And then you gave your life on the cross to, to cover all of our sins and to wash us clean. And to give us your righteousness. And then you invite us to walk with you all the days of our life and all the way through eternity. And so Jesus, we just recognize now that you are the greatest gift, the greatest provision, the greatest blessing that our Heavenly Father could have ever given. And so we just want to tell you we're so thankful. We're so grateful. If there's anyone here, Lord, who has never said yes to you, if there's anyone here who's never received the gift of your grace, Lord Jesus, my prayer is that right now they would step across the line. Right now they would just say, yes, Jesus, I give you my life. Yes, Jesus, I, I believe in you. Yes, Jesus, I receive this gift that the Father has given in his Son, Jesus Christ. Yes, I, I, want to, I want to trust you and I want to walk with you. I want to receive your grace. And Lord, I, I know that if anyone here says that, if anyone here prays that, if anyone here pursues you, that you take that statement of faith seriously. That for you that settles the deal because you settled the issue of how you felt long ago. You declared your love and you proved your love. And we are so thankful for that. Lord, for all of us here today, what we want to do is we want to say that we choose to walk with you. And we choose to walk in the kind of prosperity that you had because of your intimacy with the Father. And so, Jesus, we press into that. We ask for a greater and greater understanding of what walking with you means. Because we don't want to live greedy lives that rob us of your fullness. We want to live generous lives that lead to the abundance that you bring. So we pray all this in the name of our Heavenly Father and in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Well, friends, why don't you stand right now?
And let us continue to give our Father praise.
May we sing that all week long and inform our hearts of our good, good Father. Why don't you take a seat? We're going to continue on in our worship of the giving of our gifts and our offerings. There's many ways people give here, some online, some on Sunday morning. I do want to direct your attention back to the card Pastor Mike talked about. If you're one of those that said yes to Jesus this morning, please put that on your card so we can follow up with you. Um, or if there's a prayer request or need you have, you want to communicate with us, just put it in the bucket. Ushers, why don't you come forward? You're probably wondering who this beautiful young lady is next to me. This is Haley Avery, who literally grew up at this church. You have a, you have a long historical connection, don't you? Yes, yes. Um, I've been coming here since the womb. Is that allowed? Am I allowed to say yeah, that? You're um, to say womb. Yeah, you can my, say womb. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> um, my grandpa used to be a pastor here, actually, so I've been coming here since literally I was a baby. All right, yeah. that's so great. So tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up here. How, do, how were you involved and how did you serve here? Um, yeah, so as a family, we came every Sunday, but I started getting involved when I was about eight and I did kid stuff. Now it's called Kid Town, but I did kid stuff. I was up on stage singing and working in the preschool and everything. And then I, as I went through middle and high school, I started doing student leadership, started going on our backyard mission trips, and then I went to Tijuana as well. Okay, and so what was God doing in you during those times while you were here? I mean, he was definitely stirring something in me and starting to project me forward, but I wasn't really sure what it was that he had in store for me yet. Okay. Yeah. So then you graduated mm -hmm. and did an internship here. Yes. Talk a little bit so about that. So my internship. So I interned at Special Delivery for a year. So I did it two years ago. And I worked there in their housing program um, with the homeless pregnant woman that they have. And that is where the Lord started healing me of not just my own past, but started using me in my story. And so that was really cool to start mm -hmm. seeing him and his graciousness. And then he brought along another opportunity that kind of caused you to have to take this giant leap of faith, right? Yes. So what was that one? Yes. So I then was told, okay, well, now you're going to go from this internship to another one, a 10-week discipleship internship in East Africa. So I was there. I started diving into scripture and what it means to actually have a relationship with the Lord. Um, and I felt really called halfway through. And so I wasn't supposed to stay the 10 weeks. I was supposed to only stay three weeks. And so I stayed the duration of the trip and during debrief. And then I came back and I told my parents, okay, so I'm supposed to go intern with them for the next year. So I'm moving to Atlanta like next month. So I moved to Atlanta and I started working as a project coordinator, started understanding, okay, what is Choose to Invest? What's this nonprofit? What do they do? And so the Lord started telling me, okay, you're going to go now lead the trip over the summer with 20 college students. Some of them are older than you. Um, so that was humbling. And he started saying, okay, you're not done and you're going to now be full-time and he started calling me and propelling me forward into full-time ministry starting to sacrifice not just my family but my finances and starting to raise support and so yeah so Haley huge leap of faith and then obviously you were in this very humbling situation where you were desperately yes. dependent on Jesus yes. so what do you do to stay close to Jesus I I mean I have struggled with major anxiety, so being up here right now is a big step for me, but just coming at to his feet every single day and saying, okay, what do you have in store for me in just today, and the people I am being with in, in my conversations throughout the day, and 
reading through scripture because that was a big um, part of our discipleship program was, okay, getting in the word every morning and really just starting to fall in love with the Lord all over again. Yeah. Yeah. Haley, thank you so much for sharing with us. I've been so impressed with her journey of just listening to God and taking steps of obedience. And so, you know, she is on our training track to be one of our sent leaders out of this church as a missionary. And so we're excited to be on the journey with you for that too. You guys think thank Haley you. and sharing with us. So. We have so many great young adults with this passion for the nations and the causes that are dear to God's heart. And I look forward to what God has next for Overlake and all of that. Um, just as a quick reminder, today's and this week is the last week to sign up for our Sunday morning classes. It's our spiritual formation pathway. We'd love for you to dive in. If you've not taken rooted or shaped or transformed yet, stop by the tables, check it out, see what God might be stirring in you for your next step as you lean closer into what Jesus is calling you to be about in your life and in your growth. And as also a reminder, we have incredible people who'd love to pray with you up here on the second floor. So why don't you stand up? Let me say this word of blessing over us as we end our time today. I'm actually going to reread a passage that was in our notes today. May he grant your heart's desires and make all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy when we hear of your victory and raise a victory banner to the name of our God. May you remember your good, good Father who blesses you to be a blessing to all those around you for the sake of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for being with us this morning. Look forward to seeing you next week. Here's my